Chapters thirty three and thirty four of Lost for Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty three. As there is much beast and some devil in man, so is there some angel and some good in him. The modern majesty consists in work. What a man can do is his greatest ornament, and he always consults his dignity by doing it that satisfaction which unregenerate man derives from having given free indulgence to his evil passions having poured the strong wine of vengeance into a cup and drunk the draught to the lees is not a lasting content the fiery flavour is pleasant enough for the moment but the strength of the drink soon evaporates in the chilling atmosphere of reason as to all commoner orgies there comes the grey light of to-morrow's dawn so to this drunkenness of angry passion comes also the morrow when the man who last night flung all his chances of advantage away for the brief rapture of revenge begins to reckon on consequences and to consider whether he has not bought his triumph a little too dearly jared gurner went back to voysey street in every way a loser i've done it he said to himself very often pride sustaining him just for a little while against the sense of loss he didn't think it was in me perhaps i've done it i've shown him that a man's a man for all that and all that and twice as mickle as all that muttered mr gurner snapping his fingers defiantly at the empty air then in his fine baritone voice husky but still a noble organ he trolled out the bold defiant words a brave man's defiance of adverse fate and an adverse world what though on hamley fair we dine we're hot and grey and all that gie fools their silks and knaves their wine a man's a man for all that for all that and all that their tinsel show and all that the honest man though e'er so poor is king of men for all that voysey street resounded with the full ripe tones of that voice which might have made a better man's fortune it was past eleven and the last beer had been fetched and the public-houses were closing somewhat noisily as jarret returned to his domicile he found his mother standing in the doorway gazing dreamily into the street what sitting up for me old lady he asked with an air of jollity which was somewhat spurious he wanted to persuade himself that he was not very sorry for the evening's work that he did not think himself an abject blockhead and in this desire to stand well with himself he even went so far out of his way as to be civil to his mother yes jared i felt a little low this evening the weather was so warm and the sunset was all gold and rose-colour over cave square it put into my mind the lives of people who enjoy themselves in nice country places in such weather and that made my life seem rather hard perhaps i give way more than i ought but if it's in one's nature to be sensitive it's difficult to fight against one's feelings i hope you had a pleasant day jared not particularly pleasant perhaps if you knew the feelings of people who go out pleasuring you wouldn't think it so hard to stay at home his manner was kinder his words were more frank than usual mrs gurner felt absolutely cheered i thought perhaps you might come home hungry and want a nice little bit of supper jared she said oysters are out but it isn't too late for me to get a lobster round the corner and there's a lettuce on the stones in the scullery no thank you mother i haven't appetite enough for a strawberry ice but i should like a glass of gin and water cold if you happen to have a drop of spirit in the house yes jared there's a little gin in the cupboard i fetched it yesterday for my inside people generally do take it that way don't they mother internally i mean that my inside was bad jared or i should not have partaken of any spirit 
replied mrs gurner with dignity they went into the parlour where a guttering tallow candle flared in the gloom it did not look by any means as cheery or comfortable as the same room two or three years ago in the winter time when the fire was blazing merrily and loose dark eyes reflected the blaze jared sat down wearily giving himself up to reflection while his mother went to the tap to fetch a jug of cold water perhaps those words of the poets had inspired him with a new sense of manliness for at this moment he felt almost glad that he had destroyed his future chances of gain from dr ollivant he had felt himself so debased such a paltry creeping scoundrel every time he approached his victim and advanced the spy's claim for hush money he had seemed to himself worse than the informers who go about after lawful hours obtaining beer from innocent publicans perhaps there is no depth to which a man can sink so low as to render him unconscious of his fall the helpless victims who are born in social debasement created in the night of poverty and degradation may indeed be ignorant of their state but the man who has known the light of education who has fallen from something better can he forget just as cuthbert ollivant even amidst his agony had rejoiced at having shaken himself free from his persecutor so jared gurner with ruin staring him in the face felt some touch of pride some sense of recovered manhood in the knowledge that he had flung away his chances of extorting money from the doctor but ruin did stare him in the face nevertheless and mr gurner awoke from the sensuous sloth of his later life and came to the conclusion that he must work and work his hardest work against time in order to pay the money he had lost on hampton racecourse to-day if i could find that blessed straduarius back mused jared scratching his head meditatively as he thought of the violin lying in pieces upstairs violin for skilful manipulation of which he had been offered a five-pound note there's no swindling old ahasuerus he said to himself thinking of his client an ancient dealer in musical instruments in the neighbourhood of leicester square who pretended to remember corelli and on this and other grounds was popularly supposed to be the wandering jew he knows every mark in the grain of that fiddle-back i'll be bound if i could only find it people don't eat violin-backs it must be somewhere about the house unless the second floor's children have got hold of it and made it into a toy cart or a battledore stimulated to exertion by stern necessity mr gurner resolved upon hunting for the missing piece of wood early to-morrow morning he drank a tumbler of weak gin and water conversed with his mother quite sociably and left that lady to the retirement of the back parlour and the press bedstead in a happier frame of mind than was her wont he rose at ten next morning which for his late habits was an early hour and before indulging in the luxuries of toilette or breakfast set to work honestly and earnestly to hunt for the straduarius back this quest involved the complete turning out of his workshop all the dusty corners the heaps of odds and ends and accumulated rubbish on the piano the bills and circulars and forgotten letters and old cigar-boxes and cracked tobacco-jars and oil-bottles and varnish-rags and old boots laid aside because it was a doubtful question whether they were worth the cost of cobbler's work i wish i had lou here to help me he thought as he paused with a despairing glance at the chaos of rubbish which he had shifted from one place to another without having introduced anything like order into the arrangement thereof as with all domestic litter there was much that he could not make up his mind to throw away no i won't be so bad a father as to wish her back again poor lass he went on she's better off where she is but this place was never such a den in her time and if the old lady attempts to put things square she's pretty sure to hide half of em i dare say she's at the bottom of my losing that unlucky straduarius 
by and by working with more patience than was usual with him mr gurner like heracles when he had turned the course of the rivers alpheus and peneus began to see something like order around him the useless varnish and oil rags were thrown into a heap for burning the old boots were set out in a row for studious contemplation the cigar-boxes were emptied of their odds and ends old buttons old steel pens fragments of sealing-wax broken wafers shreds of tobacco the tattered amelian books were set up on their shelf looking like falstaff's ragged regiment jarrett considered his morning's work with a sigh it was something perhaps to have set his room to rights but he had lost all hope of ever finding the straduarius back and yet i'll swear i never took it out of this room he said to himself it must be those confounded brats upstairs it was his habit to lock the door of this sanctum and put the key in his pocket when he went out now that loo was no longer there to protect his belongings but he occasionally omitted that precautionary measure one of those children from the second floor must have crept in one day on an exploring expedition and stolen the violin back he had questioned mrs gurner closely as to her knowledge of the missing object but upon this subject mrs gurner's mind was a blank you ought to know that i never throw away a shred or a scrap of anything in your room jarred she said reproachfully perhaps not mother but you might have poked it away into some corner now however the corners had all been turned out and jarred no longer cherished any hope that the straduarius lurked among the dust and lumber of his apartment he invoked something which was the reverse of a blessing on the unconscious heads of his lodger's children and sat down gloomy of aspect the only ray of hope which had lighted his pathway quenched in darkness i could have finished the violin by saturday night he thought and a hasuerus's fiver would have put all things square he placed himself before the row of shabby boots and began the task of inspection his wardrobe was getting weak in this particular and it had come to a question of soling and healing foremost in the rank stood a pair of wellingtons boots of which jarred had been proud in his time true that wellingtons had been left behind in the progress of fashion but as jarred was wont to remark there was always something in a wellington which made it superior to all other boots he looked at those tall and lordly boots despondently they bulged a little at the sides and too faithfully reproduced in a permanent form all blemishes and faulty bosses in the foot of the wearer they were boots of which jarred could hardly feel proud even though the souter's art might make them sound and weather tight they'll pay for repair anyhow he said to himself with resignation and took up one of the once lovely boots the toe hitched the loose top of the battered old piano and half lifted it by jove ejaculated jarred i never looked inside the piano he had opened it in another instant nay dragged off the front with its faded red silk flutings and broken brasswork as if he had been about to tune the instrument yes there lay the straduarius back behind the rusty wires just as it had fallen most likely when mrs gurner cleaned the room an operation she performed at long intervals in concert with the girl jarred ran to the head of the stairs and called over the balusters send me up some strong tea and a rasher mother and bring me a bundle of firewood to melt some glue i'm going in for a long day's work he felt more appetite than he had known for a long time felt his strength and his manhood renewed there is a wholesome flavour in honest work which freshens even the most faded spirits he began his task at once with glues and varnishes and oils whistling to himself softly as he worked and with the artist's pleasure in his art not a very exalted art perhaps that of the violin doctor and in some wise allied to chicanery yet a kind of art notwithstanding 
he was going to create something were it only a spurious fiddle mrs gurner brought her son's breakfast with her own hands proud and happy to wait upon him when he condescended to smile i found the violin bag in that blessed old hurdy-gurdy said jared pointing to the superannuated instrument you must have dropped it in there some day when you were at your confounded cleaning mrs gurner protested that only the girl could have been capable of so stupid an act it's like her she remarked and jared said no more you can get me a bit of dinner by five o'clock old lady he said doing justice to the rasher and poached egg i dare say i shall have got up an appetite by that time i hope so jared it does my heart good to see you partake of your food with a relish and it seems like old times to see you at work here would you like a bit of roast lamb and half a peck of peas they're only just in and young and tender what do you like mother i haven't a sixpence to give you never mind jared i can get the lamb on trust at simmons mr gurner worked on indefatigably for four or five hours whistling softly to himself as he laboured pleased with his own skill this fiddle will be worth a hundred guineas to old ahasuerus he said as he scraped and polished and gave deeper tones to the colour of the wood he ate his dinner with much enjoyment praised his mother's cooking and made himself generally agreeable even when he had smoked his after-dinner pipe and mrs gurner was prepared to see him take his departure he still sat on that delightful society he was wont to seek had just now lost its charm for him since in the circle of his intimates he was likely to meet the men to whom he was indebted and to a man of mr gurner's fine mind a debt of honour was intolerable he could have faced an angry water-rate collector could have suffered the worst penalties of the county court without a pang but he could not brook so much as a whisper of that vile epithet welsher so he sat in his back parlour smoking and turning over the leaves of a dilapidated old sporting magazine i do believe your stopping at home has been lucky to me jarred said his mother presently i had a bit of good fortune to-day did you now found some silver screwed up in a bit of paper in some of the crockery yonder i suppose i never knew such an old party for screwing up money in bits of newspaper no jared i have too many calls for money to mislay it that wasn't my good luck you know that handsome violet-coloured satin in the window know it exclaimed jared contemptuously i know it as well as i do the union jack and i'm about as tired of seeing it well jared your eyes will never be offended by it again though i do say so long as it has been upon my hands a handsomer dress was never offered a bargain i've sold it have you well then i shall begin to believe in dr cumming and that the end of the world isn't far off it's all very well to have your joke jared but it isn't my fault if business isn't brisker the fact is there's no money to spare in voysey street or the dress wouldn't have hung in my window so long how did you manage to get rid of it at last asked jared carelessly well it was about half an hour after i'd taken up your breakfast and i was dusting this room while the girl shelled the peas when i heard the shop door-bell go tinkle tinkle timid-like ah thinks i it's one of your wandering christians as some one calls em come to ask the price of half the things in my shop with no more intention of buying than of leaving me an independency so i gave a sort of a groan and went to see who it was mrs gurner paused to give effect to her narration allowing a brief interval of suspense with a view of stimulating her hearer's interest who should it be jared but old mrs hagstock mrs simmons's mother 
a very respectable old lady who lives over at simmons and helps to keep things straight mrs simmons time being taken up with the business and her young family well she wishes me good morning and i return the compliment and ask her to take a chair and then she ups and tells me that her youngest grandson a fine baby for i saw him in his mother's arms this morning when i went over to pick that shoulder of lamb is to be christened to-morrow and she wanted to look the lady at the ceremony and there was to be a tea-party in the evening and then she says to put it plainly with you mrs gurner what is the lowest you can take for that plum-coloured satin if so be that it's my length here again mrs gurner paused for oratorical effect well jared i measured the skirt against her and it was full three inches on the ground which would allow for taking off a piece at the gathers where the satin was a trifle rubbed mrs hagstock says i with every wish to oblige you i couldn't in justice to myself and family take less than fifty shillings for that dress it would be wasted breath says i to praise the quality of the satin if it doesn't stand alone it's only because no dress ever did stand alone there they don't make such satins nowadays says i upon which that artful old woman turned round upon me and said it was an old-fashioned colour it's like old china says i if it is old-fashioned it's a colour and a quality that you can't get for love or money never mind what you said to the old lady and what the old lady said to you mother how much did you screw out of her well after half an hour's talk she brought out one pound seventeen and six i believe it was every penny she had in the world jared so i let her have the dress and with the white paisley shawl she was married in and has kept laid by ever since she'll look quite the lady to-morrow i think i shall step round to the church and have a peep at her just to see how the satin looks upon her it might be a novelty to you to see the inside of a church certainly replied jared jocosely the Voysey street people were not great church-goers preferring as a rule to devote their sabbath mornings to culinary operations and their sabbath evenings to a friendly gossip on their doorsteps or a summer stroll to the regent's park the violin was finished by saturday and the violin doctor received his price from mr ahasuerus who paid the money ungrudgingly and promised more work corelli never played upon a better instrument said the old gentleman as he put the fiddle to his shoulder and ran a bow lightly across the strings and from that hour he almost believed that the violin was a genuine straduarius or rather he made believe so well that he only just escaped self-deception jared felt ever so much more of a man as he walked away from leicester square with five sovereigns of hard-earned money in his waistcoat pocket twenty nay fifty pounds extorted from dr ollivant could not have done him half so much good he went back to his accustomed haunt the parlour at the king's head with his crest erect met his creditors with a bold and open front paid so much of his debt as he could and promised to pay the balance before the next week was out conduct so honourable to manhood elicited the applause of the parlour and jared might have regaled himself at the expense of his friends to a dangerous extent had he been so minded for once in a way however mr gurner was proof against temptation he took no more than was consistent with a liberal interpretation of that valuable virtue sobriety and walked back to voysey street still erect of mien and clear of speech a few minutes before eleven in the semi-darkness of the passage he encountered his mother in a state of wild excitement oh jared she exclaimed wonders will never cease there's such a surprise for you lor bless the old lady she's all of a twitter cried jared what surprise loo he waited not for another word but pushed past his mother and dashed into the parlour 
there in the shabby little dimly lighted room stood a lady dressed in fawn-coloured silk a fabric with deep shades of brown and bright flashes of gold in its lustrous folds a dress fashioned with a grandiose simplicity voluminous flowing artistic not a style after le follet or mr worth but rather after titian and his contemporaries the lady's raven hair formed a splendid coronal at the top of her well-shaped head her olive complexion was vividly contrasted by a ribbon of deepest blue which showed above the lace ruffle she wore about her neck a single sapphire shone darkly bright in each small ear loo indeed but a changed and glorified loo a loo who had never been seen in voysey street before to-night my girl cried jared rapturously as he clasped her in his arms why what a beauty you have grown do you really think i've improved father she asked shyly improved why i haven't seen your match for many a day didn't i always tell you there were the makings of a fine woman in you but i didn't suppose you'd turn out such a stunner and what a surprise to see you here to-night lou when i thought you were in naples egad if i'd known you'd been nearer i should have written to ask you to help me out of a difficulty though it is against the rules in that case made and provided but tell me what brought you to england and then father and daughter sat down side by side and talked together confidentially lou with all her old fondness for the scampish father she had slaved for and admired in the years that were gone they sat and talked together freely happily with unrestrained words with unclouded brows which could hardly have been possible to either if voysey street had been correct in its least charitable suppositions as to louisa's history chapter thirty four et je pleurais seul loin des yeux du monde mon pauvre amour enseveli this shadowy desert unfrequented woods i better brook than flourishing people towns here can i sit alone unseen of any and to the nightingale's complaining notes tune my distresses and record my woes in the drowsy august weather just when the heat and glory of the vanishing summer seemed most potent mrs ollivant and her daughter-in-law found themselves at killarney the solemn mountains closing round them and shutting out all the busy world beyond the quiet lakes stretched before them sunlit placid unutterably beautiful and all the gentle voices of nature crying peace to that troubled heart where there was no peace dr ollivant who with calm and hidden sway ruled the traveller's movements had protested against his wife's residence in a hotel vain for mr chalfont to assure him that the killarney hotels are delightful that in them the visitor could enjoy seclusion the most complete or the pleasantest society dr ollivant would have none of them my wife shall go to no place where pleasant society is a possibility he said grimly i don't want her driven into an untimely grave mr chalfont sighed and plaintively reminded the doctor that there were pleasures of the table to be enjoyed at a well-organized table d'hote which could hardly be assured in any private establishment and the dinners they gave us at killarney were really most superior urged the family practitioner were they worthy of lucullus or bria savarin my wife should not eat at a public table answered dr ollivant decisively we must get a cottage somewhere near the lakes i don't think that will be easy said mr chalfont it was not easy but after a good deal of correspondence chiefly by telegraph whereby all waste of time was avoided dr ollivant heard of a place that appeared suitable it was a rustic cottage near muckross with windows commanding a view of the middle lake a cottage with a garden where all beautiful things grew with the rich luxuriance common to that favoured soil 
climbing roses covered the grey stone walls mountain ashes spread their leafy plumage above the lawn spicy carnations and mignonette filled the old-fashioned borders glossy arbutus leaves screened the low house from adverse winds no more sheltered nook could have been found amidst those romantic scenes so far as a mind ill at ease may be charmed with external beauty flora was charmed with killarney but for the eyes of the sorrowful all things take one dull dead hue or else by their brightness and beauty aggravate the keen sense of pain just as flora had felt at branscombe after walter's disappearance she felt here it was so hard to be miserable in a world so full of beauty vainly did mrs ollivant guide-book in hand expound the features of the scene vainly endeavour to awaken in her companion that conscientious and painstaking admiration of nature which is the first duty of the tourist flora turned her languid eyes from torque to mangerton and did not even know which was which my love said her mother-in-law seriously it is not the least use coming to a place of this kind unless you take the trouble to appreciate the scenery and at any rate learn the names of the objects around you you remembered all you saw in rome the Colosseum, and trajan's what's-its-name yes mamma but i was happy then sighed flora cuthbert used to read bits of an english tacitus to me as we sat among the ruins till rome seemed peopled with the dead and we used to talk about virgil and horace and the rome they knew before the old gods were dead and then he would quote that lament of alfred de musset's in rolla or he would take out a pocket volume of shakespeare and read a scene from one of the roman plays yes i was happy then she concluded with a sigh and you will be happy again said mrs ollivant it is not possible for two people who love each other to remain estranged for ever i did love him mamma i never knew how well until until i discovered him unworthy of my love she would have said but left the sentence incomplete and only ended it with a sigh she could not speak against the son to the mother above all to a mother who sacrificed so much out of affection for her it was a sleepy kind of existence which the two ladies led in that rustic retreat by the lake flora was hardly strong enough yet for the regular round of excursions easy as locomotion is made for the pleasure-seeker at killarney she allowed herself to be rowed about the lakes and appeared to feel a languid pleasure in the slow movement of the boat the gentle ripple of summer waves the still beauty of the scene she would spend long hours with her books on lovely innisfallen while mrs ollivant to whom actual idleness meant martyrdom worked untiringly at a pair of berlin wool slippers for her son slippers which the unluxurious doctor would permit to adorn his dressing-room but rarely deigned to wear here in this green retreat of the monks of old flora would muse over horace or hugo byron or de musset and ever and anon with bitterest sigh remember who had taught her to appreciate the greatest authors and to make other tongues as her own whom did she most regret in these sad hours of secret mourning the lover her childish fancy had chosen and whom fate and evil passions had reft from her untimely or the husband of her womanhood easy to answer that question whose image was it that most haunted her whose looks and tones recurred with every familiar page with every favourite passage in her chosen poets whose but those of the master and guide who had formed her mind and filled her dreams with fairest fancies it was of cuthbert she thought it was cuthbert she mourned that cuthbert for whom she had avowed her hatred from whom she had separated her life for ever hard to break a tie that had endured through more than a year of happy married life 
a tie that had begun to be woven long before her marriage in those sad days when she awoke from the darkest fever dreams in a strange house and asked cuthbert ollivant what had become of her father from that hour yes from the first hour of her orphanhood he had been all the world to her his the single all-sustaining love which her weak nature needed he the deeply rooted oak upon which she could hang poor parasite as she was in the utter womanliness of her character without him her life fell into ruin or became a mere segment of life purposeless meaningless not life at all but simply endurance a dull suffering of days and nights sunrise and sunset warmth and cold existence as mindless and hopeless as that of the cattle on the hillside and without their animal joy in living sometimes she would close her book with a short sudden sigh that was like a stifled sob and rise from her moss-grown bank and walk away from the spot where her calm duenna worked little criss-cross stitches with berlin wool and put in a few beads here and there and admired the effect of her labours and was happy flora would wander away in the green solitude and lean her head against one of the great ash trunks and shed secret tears tears of love and pity and regret for the husband for whose falsehood she had declared her hatred and her contempt bitter were those tears for they were shed in utter hopelessness if god would let me die that was her only prayer but in spite of hidden tears of nights that were half unrest the sweet soft air of carrie did its work of healing the languid eyes regained some of their old light the oval cheek recovered its delicate bloom as flora grew stronger the two ladies wandered farther afield they climbed mangerton and looked down upon the glorious panorama of hills and waters they spent long days on the laurel-shaded banks of that mighty cascade which comes rushing down from the summit of mangerton flora botanizing mrs ollivant steadfast to the slippers they penetrated the gap of dunlow and rode their trusty ponies into the black valley and from the time she first beheld it this lonely vale was flora's favourite resort the gloomy grandeur of the scene seemed in harmony with sad thoughts the solitude soothed her by degrees mrs ollivant came to understand that it might be better sometimes to let flora wander alone or at least with no other companion than the sturdy guide who led her pony over the rough bits of road and told her the legends that belonged to every crag and peak and mrs ollivant having punctiliously followed the precepts of the guide-book felt that she had done her duty to killarney and in her heart of hearts preferred sitting in the shade of a weeping ash on the lawn reading her favourite wordsworth or grounding dear cuthbert's slippers to the more exhausting pleasures that appertain to the worship of nature so flora crossed the lake in a little boat reserved for her especial use and on the other side found her pony in the charge of a faithful gossoon her liege retainer and rode thence to the black valley that awful amphitheatre of hills which even on the sunniest day has an aspect of all abiding gloom here she would roam at will while the guide who was discreet enough to know when he was not wanted sat on some green knoll and busied himself with the fabrication of salmon flies being a man of infinite resources the few inhabitants of that romantic solitude grew to be familiar with the pretty young english lady the bright-faced girls loved to talk to her the woman brought her goat's milk the children gathered ferns and wild flowers for her the very dogs fawned upon her and entreated her notice she was nearer happiness in these lonely rambles than she had ever been since that dreadful june evening at the willows when jared gurner revealed her husband's baseness here in this grand and melancholy scene her soul rose to its loftier level that old selfish lament he saw my grief he saw me endure the agony of hope deferred 
the sickening tortures of suspense and he went on deceiving me was forgotten she thought of her husband for the first time with unalloyed pity he was so far from her so utterly divided she could survey his conduct more calmly from this distance she looked back as to a past life and saw him with eyes that were no longer passion-blinded it was for her sake he had sinned let her think of him ever so unkindly she could not quite shut that fact out of her mind for her sake to win her love he had been false to himself it was not in his nature to stoop it was not in his nature to deceive and for her sake he had made himself a liar and a hypocrite she recalled those moments of gloom which had puzzled and distressed her dark moods that had stolen upon her husband even in their sunniest hours depression which she had referred to professional anxieties she could understand now that he had suffered for his sin the burden of his falsehood had not sat lightly upon him all that was noble in his soul had revolted against that one great meanness and it was for my sake she told herself many women would have been proud of such a passion just as cleopatra may have been proud when her warrior lover bartered his glory for her worthless love and followed her vanishing sails and told her that worlds won or lost counted less than one tear of hers sometimes flora thought of her husband with such settled and hopeless sorrow as she might have felt for the very dead for one whose days and wrongs were done whose memory only remained to be cherished or despised but there were other moments when her fancy pictured him in his lonely life and her heart ached for his forlornness how strange the house must seem she thought picturing to herself those familiar rooms in wimpole street the willows she knew was given over to the care of servants her husband was not likely to go there how strange and how lonely that stiff london house must look worse than when i first saw it and wondered at its cold primness much worse for cuthbert now that his mother is no longer there to keep him company he will sit in his consulting-room half through the night reading those dreadful medical books english and french and german what horrid creatures we must be when so many doctors can find so much to write about our diseases poor cuthbert it seems such a dreary life but it is only the same kind of existence he led before papa came home from australia it could not matter to him very much if it were not that we have been so happy and she remembered those famous lines they two had so often read together nessun maggior dolore che ricordasi del tempo felici nella miseria End of chapters thirty three and thirty four